Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Sponsored by TSX Broadway, I'm Dan Mack. On today's show, a new bidder emerges for USA Today, and President Trump gives us a bit of a shutdown surprise. But first, the future of retail. So the big retail news last week was Sears's on-again, off-again death, I guess, having first rejected a $4.5 billion takeover bid from Chairman Eddie Lampert, but then leaving the door open a bit for a deal after Lampert raised his offer to $5 billion. But the reality is no matter what happens to Sears, that's a ghost of retail past, not of retail future. For that, Axios had a weekend deep dive that left us with a few big things to consider. And the first is that vanity may save Main Street. So if you take a walk through any large or mid-sized town, you're apt to see a lot of nail salons and waxing salons and tattoo parlors and gyms, the sorts of things that can't be easily replicated online. In fact, between 1990 and 2017, the U.S. saw a 247% increase in nail salons while seeing double-digit decreases in things like hardware stores, bookstores, and shoe stores. Second, don't overstate the impact of millennials. Yes, it's true that wealthy millennials are relatively unlikely to go to a store, but middle and lower income millennials have the same shopping habits as everyone else. And third, a lot of these trends in retail that we keep reading about, things like cashierless stores or pop-up stores from big digital first brands, those are mostly manifesting in big cities, not in smaller ones, let alone in rural areas. That means that the internet, which was supposed to help democratize retail and our access to products, actually may be creating a new sort of digital divide because, you know, progress. In 20 seconds, we'll go deeper on all of this with Axios future reporter Erica Pandey. But first, this. TSX Broadway is bringing Times Square into the digital age. The project will be a powerhouse for event activation with a 46-story tower wrapped in LED screens, a luxury hotel, experiential retail space, and Times Square's only permanent outdoor stage. Learn more about this breathtaking platform at tsxbroadway.com. We're joined now by Axios future reporter, Erica Pandy. And Erica, we've talked, not you and I, but on this podcast, we've talked in the past about a concept of a digital divide where new technologies, networking technologies are going to hit urban centers first and kind of rural places, even suburban places last or at least second. Are we about to see something similar in retail? I think that's exactly right. I think the future of retail in the next five years and the next 20 years is going to exacerbate the inequality that we see here. And a lot of that is because these new buzzy technologies we're hearing about, whether it's cashierless or AI-powered retail, or even, you know, sprucing up stores and making them a little fancier, a little more fun to shop at, is concentrated in rich suburbs and the large metro areas. And a lot of the poor parts of cities, the more rural parts of the country, are seeing their independent grocers, their independent bookstores die out and be replaced by largely uh, the discount chains, the Dollar Trees and the Dollar Generals, which are adding, you know, a thousand stores per year each. It's interesting, though, right? Because, I mean, the idea of, I mean, going back, part of the idea of the internet, per se, was the democratization of this sort of stuff, right? The idea that you didn't have to be in, you know, with e-commerce, at least, you didn't need to be, say, in New York City to be able to buy the coolest item. You're really saying, though, that while certain products might be available to everybody equally, albeit maybe not as affordably, the actual kind of experiential part, which seems to be where retail is going, that's going to be defined differently. Exactly. I think that all the frills and all the bells and whistles are going to be limited to cities and to where the money is. And with e-commerce, too, I mean, it was supposed to be this factor of democratization, but now you're seeing, you know, you 
can't shop with cash. If you, if you want to shop on Amazon, you can't live in a neighborhood where you're risking something getting stolen off your doorstep. There are subtle dividers there, too, that are making even e-commerce and the convenience of e-commerce out of reach. And, you know, a lot of uh, huge swaths of the country need eggs. You need them right away. You don't have the luxury of being able to plan ahead and shop online and schedule your groceries and your toiletries to come in. So if that's where we're at, and, and if you're in these outside areas, it's kind of the, the discount retailers, the dollar stores that are going to become our dominant and maybe are just going to become more dominant. How does the future look for those stores? I, I know, for example, one of them's under kind of a activist shareholders trying to get them to sell because the performance has been lousy. Is there a bright future for that sort of retailer? I think those retailers are only going to get stronger if we head into a recession. I mean, we heard from a lot of experts who've been looking at the industry that it's not the rise of e-commerce that has shaken up retail. It's the rise of income inequality. The divide between the richest and the rest is getting greater. There are, are things in line for people's discretionary income that weren't before. You might want to spend money on a data plan or on a Netflix subscription before you want to go and buy a pair of jeans. I think a way for these stores to get even stronger is to start adding fresh produce options, which Dollar General is starting to do. Because if people are relying on their groceries there, they can't always be buying cheese nips and vanilla wafers. You need more options if this is going to be a primary source for your food. By the way, that's not necessarily true. I would happily live on cheese nips and vanilla wafers. I could do that. The thing you're saying, though, kind of leads to something else you wrote in the deep dive over the weekend, which is that kind of supermarkets are the retailer of the future. I think that's one definitely uh, exception to what we're noticing. You know, people, when they think of discount retailers, they think of Walmart. But Walmart is one of the leading innovators. Uh, when it comes to infusing tech into retail. We're seeing grocery stores uh, here and, and in China and in Japan are, are kind of the ground zero for a lot of the newest technology in retail. And I don't expect a tech infusion into Dollar General anytime soon, but I do think Walmart is going to have more and more options for delivery, for pickup, which might be a bright spot for those more rural areas. The lead of the deep dive, you, you talked about how one of the, the areas in retail that's actually growing in, instead of shrinking is kind of uh, dedicated service. So things like nail salons, pet care, cosmetics places, even some restaurants. And I'm wondering, so if that's kind of in part the future, at least of small retail, because those numbers are growing, but that doesn't necessarily mean more jobs or where the jobs go in the long term, right? Because a lot of those things are also areas that seem like they're going to be getting more automated, correct? That's definitely true. I mean, I spent some time in Lawrence, Massachusetts. I know you're a Massachusetts guy, too. I know Lawrence well. Yep. And the entire Main Street used to be a smattering of clothing stores and florists and bookstores. And now it's a lot of nail salons and barbershops. And, and, you know, these are more specialized skills. A lot of the retail jobs, the pendulum is swinging towards warehouse jobs and manufacturing jobs. And the retail jobs of the future are going to be much more in that category than I think we've seen. I'm thinking the Jetsons here, but I'm thinking whether it be a, a barbershop or a nail salon, that if we're in a spot where robotics can, you know, do some really, really intricate stuff in terms of surgeries, et cetera, they've got to be able to paint nails well if somebody builds it. I think that's definitely true. I think there's a lot of people out there who would want a robot haircut. They don't like making chit chat with your hairdresser. But I think a lot of people do crave that social interaction. That's why people are trying to bring bring malls back and make them, you know, cooler. As we're increasingly on our phones and our on our laptops and everything is automated, some people are gonna crave that Sunday morning where you get to go and talk with your manicurist about your week and get your nails done. So I think people keep investing in that. If that's how human nature goes, I think those jobs are safe, at least for now. At least for now. Erica Pandy, future reporter for Axios. Thank you so much. My final two right after this. Every day, 400,000 people pass through Times Square. 
and soon, titans of the digital economy will have a new way to reach them. TSX Broadway is a retail playland designed to host 15 million visitors every year with interactive retail, live performances, food and beverage service, and a luxury hotel. Learn more at tsxbroadway.com. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is news that a newspaper publisher known as Digital First Holdings has made around a $1.3 billion offer to buy Gannett, publisher of such papers as USA Today and the Detroit Free Press. Now, this on its own isn't terribly surprising, given that Digital First already owns a 7.5% stake in Gannett and has made takeover approaches in the past. But it sure must be terrifying for a lot of Gannett Newsroom employees. And it's another shot to the heart of those who still care about local news. So here's how Sarah Fisher, Axios's media reporter, explains it. She says that Digital First Holdings, quote, doesn't have a stellar reputation for maintaining the cultures and values of struggling local news companies it buys up. Instead, it's known for cutting staff and outsourcing local news gathering to digital operations in major cities, end quote. And as somebody who's based here in Boston, where Digital First owns the Boston Herald, I can attest that seems to be the case. And finally, we are on day 24 of the federal government shutdown, which is an all-time record. Now, the expectation late last week was that President Trump would declare a national emergency about border, thus allowing most of the government to reopen while letting the court sort out if he's actually allowed to do such a thing. But this morning, outside the White House, Trump told reporters that while he believes he still has a, quote, absolute legal right to call a national emergency, he's not looking to do it. Or put another way, there is still no end in sight to what is an ongoing national disgrace. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Adam Grassi and Tim Shovers, have a great national hot pastrami sandwich day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata podcast.